Hello, and welcome to episode 141 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I am your kind of new, but not that new host, Derek Heemsbergen. I am Embryonics on Twitter. That's at E-M-B-R-Y-O-N-X. And I am joined by some fresh and familiar faces today. First up, we have Caitlin Kingdom Mode Ardros. And what a kingdom it is. Um, I have I have still to make it as big and beautiful as it can be. Uh, I am at Leanne underscore Cazero on Twitter and same on Discord. Um, I'm old fashioned that way. I've kept the same name for like ever. So yeah, me too. I have pretty much the same one everywhere. And we also have Mike, who you call in a da village a ho, Salosi, something like that, right? <laughs> De- what is yeah. his name? De Village Ho? De Village Ho? Devil Joe, but you, I think, yeah, I think you, Who are you calling you a Devil Joe Solosi? How yeah, about that? He, yeah, the murder prickle basically turns into De Village Ho if you just switch around two consonants. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally De Village Ho. Oh, speaking of De Village Ho, I've been playing a lot of Stardew Valley. But Oh, oh my. <laughs> and Who I mean, are you yeah. on Twitter, Mike? I am at The Real Monsoon on Twitter, and if you see an RPG fan thing with Monsoon in the title, it's probably me. Wonderful. And then we're also joined by Robert Crap on a Cracker Fenner. That's me. Bad taste in more ways than one. Misanthro- oh, at Misanthrobob on Twitter. And you know from Derek's introduction that I'm playing some classic Falcon games this week. Yeah, you are. Which is just wonderful. And I can't wait to discuss because I haven't played that one yet. So I'm going to need some perspective. And then finally, it's a full house today. We've also got Nathan put a fatal bullet between my eyes, Lee. <laughs> oh, that's such a true statement. I I can't wait to talk about that. I am Smash King on Discord and Smash King at Smash King 27 on Twitter. Wonderful, wonderful. So thank you all for being here today in Rob's absence. Uh, I don't know how we're going to live up to it, guys, but I sure as hell am going to try. I think I'm just going to get all of my nervous energy out, like, right now, because I, I, what the hell? Like, I've been doing this podcast for so many episodes now. You know, it's around 141, and I haven't been on every one, but suddenly it's like pressure is bearing down on me as a host, so... I'm sure everything will go just swimmingly, but Rob will be missed, and we will continue to prod him to get back on the show in short order. So we have a lot of games to talk about today, which is like, you know, the usual for us, because especially if you have five people present, um, each each of us has been playing different stuff, so there's plenty to delve into today. And I think we're probably going to start with some of the shorter beats. Um, so, Lucy, I know that you have been going pretty hard on some of the Batmans, correct, as Robert always says? Yes. Um, a couple weeks ago when I was on the podcast, I talked about uh, the Telltale Season 2 of Batman, which is called The Enemy Within. And at that time, I had only played the first three episodes. And since then, I have finished off the uh, this season of it, and there should be a review up on the website. I'm not sure what the timing of that is yet. And um, yeah, just uh, the short version, this is a big busy Batman story with a bunch of uh, DC Comics people in it but really it's a Joker origin and it's a really really cool version of a Joker origin like the the fifth version I'm sorry fifth version whoops the fifth episode where you sort of confront the Joker that you sort of helped create over the course of the game is really really dramatic and fun and I kind of want to replay it again just to see how different versions of the Joker can play out. I was kind of wondering how much of a spoiler it was in the marketing that I've seen for this game, because I haven't played it. I've seen my roommate play through a decent amount of it, like not watching over his shoulder, but he's been like playing it in the common space. And so I've glanced at it. But in the marketing for episode five, it's talking about, you know, like choose Joker's fate. So is that something that they allude to pretty early? Like, do you know from the get go that that's what's going to happen? Um, I, I'm not sure if you went in from the beginning with no marketing knowledge and no research that uh that's the 
what's it's building towards. Um, it's pretty clear from the beginning that uh, Joker's the most important character you interact with, other than Batman. And uh, there's a lot of decisions involving him, and a lot of like heartfelt talks involving him. He, he it's and he and he transforms more with each episode. It's uh, he starts out almost like a sort of like a little puppy dog. He uh, thinks Bruce Wayne's his best friend. He hero worships Batman, and he's madly in love with Harley Quinn, which is a I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago is a nice flip from how it usually is. Person, yeah, yeah, and basically, and how you interact with Joker and Harley and all the other characters basically will turn him to feeling more like. Uh, Basically, he'll be pulled. The Joker character, who's called John Doe for most of the series, will be pulled in different directions. And I, I think there's basically only two final tracks. Whether he's a traditional Joker that wants nothing more than to have Batman break his code and cause chaos, and a different version of the Joker who is um, uh, a vigilante who mm-hmm. wants to be like Batman. Without, I don't want to get too deep into it, but it's a. Uh, I don't know if the if it's more nuanced than just those two final paths. But the path I took was really fun and interesting, and the dialogue was clever. And again, it's a bit of a slow burn up to the final episode, but the final episode of uh, Enemy Within is really, really good Telltale. If if you have patience for Telltale's crap, which is still, you know, (laughs) ever-present. Yeah, that's the main thing I was wondering, like the whole, the duality, either him being a vigilante or a villain. So that was like... It was yeah. in my face on a Facebook ad, and I was like, okay, if I hadn't played this, then I might be annoyed to know that that was sort of how it would turn out. But Yeah, I saw it on YouTube a lot in the past couple weeks um, before it came out, and I, don't, and I don't know, I mean, how much of that's tailored to me, because I do, you know, watch yeah. some comic book and fighting game things on uh, YouTube a lot, but... Yeah, it was weird that they had a. I don't. I don't. I I hesitate to call it a spoiler, but such like a big plot point uh, ever present in the media for the game. That's a little weird. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think you. I think fans were probably expecting not maybe maybe not the 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 duality angle, but that it was going to be about Joker and how he becomes Joker because ever since he was a cameo at the end of the first series. I think we all expected, well, he's going to show up in the next series and it's probably going to show him becoming Joker since that's the first The first season introduces a couple of rogues and shows how they become those rogues because we are very early on in Batman's crime-fighting career. So yep. they, 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 that might have been why they felt a bit more free to be you know, a little bit more spoilery is because they probably figured, well, the fans expect it. They know what's going to come. They just don't know how. So we can... We can let the cat out of the bag a little bit, maybe. Yeah, and, and they're, they're not trying to hide it. I mean, John Doe, from his introduction at in the, at the end of the first season, is pale skin, green hair, uh, prone to laughter. Uh, like, I'm, I'm not... They're, they're not trying to make a, a surprise that he becomes the Joker. Gotcha. But um, uh, Caitlin, yeah, Caitlin's assessment was right, and uh, but um, and that's the main narrative thrust of the, the second season, is, is John Doe becoming the Joker. Okay. And since I don't really follow Batman all that much uh, independently or at all, um, would you say, I mean, like I know Batman basics and I've seen, you know, I've seen the movies and the Dark Knight movies and everything. But um, would you say that the characterization in this like dramatically differs in any way that makes makes it significantly more interesting other than like the inversion of Harley and Joker, like who likes who? Um, No, they mostly stay within the. traditional representation i mean uh, it's really about the joker how timid he starts out and uh and before he turns into what if he eventually becomes but uh most of the time the characters and situations like sit comfortably within how 
Batman has always worked, but they do a couple subversions of it that I think are at least interesting. Like uh, a couple major characters die in season two. And uh, the, the biggest one might be, is uh, probably something from season one. Is it okay if I spoil it? It's uh, like the first episode of season one of Batman. Uh, what is this right now? Season three? This is season two. two. that just finished. Season, oh, this is just still two. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that, I mean, uh, maybe not. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but Batman learns something in episode one of season one, which was 2016. Uh-huh. Uh, that sort of hangs over the whole series. That is not something that happened in comics or movies. Ah, okay. yes, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, okay. I, I haven't played these yet, but from what I understand, it is basically like its own continuum. So I can yeah. see oh, them yeah. like heavily, you know, heavily hinting at um, this tra- trajectory that the Joker may or may not take to, you know, since they have that extra leeway, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, right. They're they're definitely being giving they're definitely being given leeway because there's a big old what if and you choose yeah (laughs) yeah okay good well I'm glad to to hear that the season wrapped up in a satisfying way and that you liked it and uh, does it seem like there's a pretty definitive season three coming do we know I don't think we know Um, the the real showstopper in season five is the final decision that you make which is sort of like in an epilogue space episode five yeah yeah yep sorry episode five of season two. Um, which is like in an epilogue and not in a confrontation exactly. And the ramifications of that decision, I think, will affect if there's a season three or not. It's it, it, it's it was a good moment, and I'm a. If there's a season three, I would play it, but I I don't know if they're going to go ahead with it, especially since uh, Telltale I think has made a a bunch of um, layoffs and cuts recently. So maybe they be maybe they might be scaling back in the future. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it sounds like it was still pretty successful. So. Cool. Good to hear it. Well, and uh, as long as you've got the floor, Solosi, I wanted to ask you about a little something called Monster Hunter World, uh, which I have oh, also boy. been playing. So it's not like, you know, we've discussed it a bit on the show already, but um, I butchered, I could have sworn that was called, I thought it was Devil Joe, but like looking no, it at is, it, it looks like Devilla Joe. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's Devil Joe, but there's an H in the Joe that maybe can, throws you off a little bit. Okay. But maybe, uh, yeah. Maybe this wiki is misspelled and I shouldn't be trusting uh, random Monster Hunter wikis. But I'm pretty sure it's spelled right. It's just always had that kind of weird pronunciation. Yeah, first, yeah. So I just call it Devil Joe. That's fair. Okay, well, so I you already just, butchered Devil Joe, but uh, has everyone, Devil everyone Joe calls, butchered you? Everyone calls it the murder pickle anyway, so you can just call it pickle <laughs> or murder pickle. See that slimy? <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, yeah, I've been playing a lot of Monster Hunter since that game came out in late January. And uh, um, since the beginning, Capcom's... DLC plan has been new monsters and new quests will be free DLC and things like emotes and some costumes will be paid DLC. Right. Which is, you know, a pretty uh, fair plan, I think, because I'd much rather, like, if I'm going to pay for DLC in a game, I either want it to be a really well thought out substantial sort of narrative addition or something that doesn't uh, fill in a gap that wasn't necessary, if that makes sense. Like, so basically, don't give me Final Fantasy 15. Give me what I've seen of Nino Kuni 2, which is like Nino Kuni 2 feels like a finished story to me. And if they want to add more narrative on top of that, that maybe fleshes out a side character, I'm cool with that. So, in the like, you know, for something like Monster Hunter World, I like that the core content is being offered, you know, for free to like to the people who are playing it. Which, by the way, there's not even a monthly sub for this. You have to have PlayStation Plus, but like. The fact yeah. that there's no additional monthly sub, I think, is fantastic if they're going to continue adding content, because normally that's how they justify it. It's like, okay, well, you know, we're going to keep adding more to it, but we need the, the sub money. So, yeah, for them to do that, like, they can charge $5 for an emote. I don't care, because I'm not going <laughs> to buy it. So, if I really wanted to, then, you know, I guess I could. But, 
I'm thinking about like, because Persona Five never got any DLC. Um, mm. or, or, oh, yeah, it, sorry, big... Persona Five never got any narrative DLC. Sorry, as well. Right. It didn't get like yeah. a story. It got lots of costumes, costumes yeah. and BGM mostly. I think. Yeah, yeah and like, personas, yeah. I think mm. the uh, yeah, and some personas, but as far as I know, none of those were game breaking in any way. Um, with the Persona Five DLC. It's overpriced. I think those costume packs cost too much, but I think you're paying oh, yeah. for the license to the music. Um, so the fact that those are just like, they're cosmetic and referential in a fun way that doesn't feel like trashy. Um, that I still think they cost too much, but I, I'm okay with that DLC model um, as long as it isn't anything that can sort of give me an unfair advantage in the game or as long as the DLC isn't there to fix, you know, to plug a leak basically in the story <laughs> that should have been there from the, or shouldn't have been there from the get-go. So... Um, that being said, I so yeah, so I appreciate this model for Monster Hunter. So have they said what the next edition is going to be after Devil Joe? Um, not the next monster, but they have said uh, that there will be more. And they introduced some things like a uh, a Dante from Devil May Cry costume and oh, charged yeah. blade weapon. Uh, and they announced a special um, spring festival event, with a, which will add fireworks to the main village area and allow you to play any previous event quest that was only weekly and limited before. For oh, I think nice. for I think for I think two weeks. Oh, that's great! Yeah, and um, the the Devil Joe quest itself is basically um, Devil Joe will appear randomly in the wild. Once you encounter him once, uh, once you encounter him once, that's uh, that's uh, redundant. I, I apologize. Um, once you and once you meet him, you can do a special quest which is voiced and scripted and has some you know the, the, some bare bones story attached. That will uh, be your first official Devil Joe hunt, and once you've completed that, he'll start appearing in all quests in high rank, uh, randomly crashing your hunts and and just being a jerk in general, kind of like a Basil Juice. <laughs> that you know that feels a little Darkest Dungeon. Uh, what is it, Crimson Court? To me, the expansion where once vampirism happens, like once once you've had that enabled, can't you, your characters become vampires at any point? I remember Rob saying something about like. Once you have access to that, then it sort of adds this additional layer of complexity slash difficulty to the rest of the game. Yeah, that's when, when you beat when you Isaac move... five times. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that if you beat it five times, it just like ups the difficulty and throws in a bunch of new bosses. Oh, fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess you could at least create a new save if you just wanted to go totally fresh, right? But um... I think you'd have to. I think it's only one one save per account. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I just wonder how the introduction of Devil Joe might throw off some of the balancing in Monster Hunter World, but does it seem like it's pretty There's, fair or not a big deal? It's fair. Um, when you move from low rank to high rank, uh, monsters will crash your hunts and interfere with your missions more often. And uh, the monster that does, does that the most is Basil Juice, which is this, you know, uh, this flying wyvern that um, has this explosive scales that it drops on you. It's, and with, with, like when he enters your hunt, the shadow will appear over you, and the music oh, yeah. will change, and you'll be like, "Oh no! Oh no! 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 Gotta get out of here!" <laughs> the explosive and, 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 swag. Yeah, and and Devil Joe plays basically the same role. He'll. Uh, it's it's. You know, in the Monster Hunter lore, it's a wanderer that is just eating nonstop, and so it's always on the, it's always hunting other monsters and hunters. But uh, the countermeasure for those is you can, um, if you collect dung, and um, and refine dung into dung pods. Whenever you, you hit a monster with dung, um, they will always immediately escape and change and change areas. So, uh, so you're like, to collect and sling poop. 
Collect yes. and sling poop, which is, you know, uh, to, you know, to make sure that you're only hunting one at a time, because uh, if a monster interferes with your hunt, sometimes they'll start fighting each other, and that can be great, or sometimes they'll both start attacking you, and that's the opposite of great. So, ha- like, having having a, a supply of dung pods to control the flow of, of the battle a little bit is very important, and that's your and it's your main countermeasure against Basil Juice and Devil Joe. Okay. But also, no, I, I chuckled at like controlling the flow with dung. <laughs> but and I should mention my maybe, maybe my favorite thing about Devil Joe is uh, its interactions with other monsters are just brutal and awesome. He'll uh, it, it's a big Tyrannosaurus looking thing, so it, it's uh, it'll usually pick up other monsters with its jaws and just slam them against scenery over and over and deal hundreds of damage to them. And uh, sometimes it'll pick up smaller ones and wield them like a club and try to hit you with the other monster that's struggling to escape Devil Joe's mouth. So it's just there's there's a lot of interactions and animations and stuff that they added with the Devil Joe DLC that is real real fun. And plus, Devil Joe is a popular uh, monster from I yeah. think games. That's what I was gonna say. He's like a legacy monster that people were hoping to see. Yeah, I think he was announced pretty early, like around the time of launch. But uh, and there's already. Japanese and English language fan polls uh, trying to pick the next one, and the most popular answer is uh, pretty consistently Zenogre. Yeah, we gotta see that guy back. Yeah. And what does he look like, or what does he do? He's a blue and gold thunder wolf that uh, howls and does big tail slams, and it's just cool looking in general. He was on the he was in the last uh, PSP Monster Hunter game that North America ever got. Okay, so if he looks cool, then um, whatever you carve off of him and make into your jacket is gonna look cool too, right? Yeah, it'll be it'll be very jagged and golden and turquoise. <laughs> Probably, I can get behind that and into that literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, glad to hear Monster Hunter is still going well. I've it's seen um, my partner play a ton of it, and it's like I'm almost exhausted by watching some of the high rank <laughs> hunts because I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, I'm I. I that. <laughs> I've done most of the hunting I want to do. I think I'm going to try to scale back on my monster hunting and maybe just play it. Instead of playing it every day for hours like I did for a month and a half, just maybe a couple times a week and when new DLC comes out, because goodness knows there's a lot of games to play in 2018, and I should probably play more than one. Monster Hunter World Methadone? Yeah, I need to... I need to wean myself off the hard stuff, that's for sure. Might I, might I recommend Stardew Valley? <laughs> because, holy oh, crap, I'm going to hole. Yeah, I need my own methadone for that because holy <laughs> crap, I have played so much of that over the last week. Um, but that's on, on Switch, right? Yeah, I got it on Switch because I want to mess with the multiplayer update on the console. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, um, cool. Uh, Monster Hunter World continues to be a really good game. So, uh, thanks for sharing the info about Devil Joe, which I will forever remember how I said at the beginning of this episode. Okay, let's move on to something um a lot more anime and something that you know. So the funny thing is before. I heard his take on it. I thought that this one was going to be sort of like elevated or a little bit better than the rest of its contemporaries. So Sword Art <laughs> Online Fatal Bullet is the newest video game spinoff of the Sword Art Online anime franchise. Now, um, I've only seen the first season of the anime and I thought it was pretty okay. Um, I've heard that it goes off the rails, especially with some like gross uh, emoto stuff that's... They've got an AI baby. You mean the first arc There's of the first season? Thing? Yeah, that does happen. <laughs> so, so like the games, I think I played. What was it? Uh, it was either Hollow Realization or whatever the one after that for PS3. 
PS3? No, PS4 it must have been. I can't remember, but I played one of them like fairly briefly. It wasn't the one with the god-awful translation, but it was... Uh, I played the retranslated okay, so version. Boss Song and then Hollow Realization. Yeah. Okay. So there's Hollow Fragment and Hollow Realization. Are those different? Yes. Okay. So I played one of those. I don't know. Um, I thought it was not super great, but it seemed like an interesting vessel to sort of convey sort of online fan service. So Fatal Bullet is the newest one, and as far as I know, it's set in like... Because the characters in the game are playing MMOs, so I guess this is like they're playing a new game that's a shooter? Yeah, it's uh, Gun Gale Online. Okay, so it's more of an action-y shooter type. I've heard it called Anime Destiny. How do you feel about that comparison? So it's, it's the dirge Destiny. of Cerberus of the Sword Art Online world. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. Um, I, I guess that's a kind of fair comparison. I would compare it more to Freedom Wars, if anyone would play that. It's the same mm. uh, development team, but it's the same kind of oh. idea as uh, Freedom Wars. Okay, so um, in it you're playing as a custom avatar, right? And like Kirito is there doing something? Okay, so you play as your own custom avatar. Kirito is in the game, he's... You do get to play as him in, later on in, in the story, but like, I mean like really late in the story, so you can interact with the other... Uh, with you know, his usual band of characters. Until then, you're, you're stuck with your own guy. Okay, and so what's your overall impression of the game? You finished it and you just uh, reviewed it, right? Yeah, I just finished writing a review of it for it last night. Uh, this is not good. It might be the worst of the series, which is really disappointing because, as you mentioned, this one looked like it would be a lot better than the other sort of online games just because, like, I, I trust... It's a lot different. Sorry? At least just different and not, like, the same rote MMO, like, fake MMO type thing that the other ones have been doing. Uh, I, I guess so. I knew what uh, to expect. It couldn't be, like, the same kind of... MMO style going into it, just a different, you know, being a shooter instead of being like an action game, mm-hmm. or like a, you know, like a fancy action game. But uh, yeah, this is not good. There's way too many issues with this game. Okay, well, where where do you start listing the issues then? What's what's like the main thing? How's the combat? So the combat's actually pretty good. That's probably the best thing about it. So the game gives you an assist mode for for being able. To, so basically. It's kind of like a little box that appears, and within the box there's this little circle that there's enemies within. If you shoot in that general area, then you'll be able to, to deal damage. So basically this allows you to run, gun, roll, do whatever you want while, while you're shooting them. That, that part's pretty fun. You can just... The nice combat's nice and fluid there. But, every, but everything else is just an issue. Like, probably right away, the first thing I noticed was there's a lot of loading for, for the game. So basically whenever you enter a new area or... Even if you transport within the same general, on the same map, and then you go to like a different waypoint on the map, it still has to load for like 10 seconds. Even though I could have just ran there in like, you know, less time to take to load. Well, what yeah. system were you playing the game on? Uh, on PS4. Okay, so do you think it might be better on the PC version, or is it a, it's just badly optimized? Uh, I'm pretty sure it might be better on PC, but... I don't trust Bandai Namco with PC ports. <laughs> they're not very consistent with those. So I'm not sure how the PC version is. Actually, one of my friends has it. I should have asked him about it beforehand. But uh, but load times are definitely a problem. Yeah. You know, they're just way, way too long. And I think near near the middle of the game, the, the, it did the Sonic 06 thing where the, the had, had loaded a cutscene. No, no, well, not that. But it loaded a cutscene. The, the character said one thing, and then had to load again. I was, okay. And I was just like facepalm as soon as it happened. I was like, "Are you serious?" And then so I just then, I think that happened in um in in Hollow Fragment as well, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yikes! Lots of lots of weird problems like that on PS4. And that was uh, uh, that was an upresed Vita game. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the kicker was that it was right in front of the area I need to go to, so I still had to load again to, to get to that, that next <laughs> area. So fine. that was, yeah. Okay, so your issues are mainly stemming from like the optimization and the flow of the game and stuff, more so than like how's the story? Is it is the story is also bad? <laughs> okay. okay, what's so, bad about like, the story? Uh, mostly because you play your character's not really silent, but he doesn't just doesn't really have a voice outside of combat. So you kind of just like, pick the generic you know answers to questions like oh like what what do you think of me or that kind of thing, right? So you okay. you uh. What's the, what's the thing? What's what I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, they're the characters that they introduce. They always introduce new characters with every single Sora Online game. This I couldn't get into these particular characters. So there's your typical childhood friend character, and then there's kind of like a new mentor character that they introduce, and okay. they just they're just boring, and I didn't care about them. Even because uh, you play as like a character that would. Oh, that's oh sorry. One thing I want to bring up first is uh, basically, in order before you start the new area, the reason why you started playing the game is because your childhood friend invited you to play because a new area is going to open up soon. But before you could open up the new area, you have to go and uh, find the parts to fix your AI partner. That's the main uh, new update of the game was they introduced AI partners. So you have to find the parts for your AI partner. But this takes like over half the story to looking for the parts for your for your partner and in between that nothing ha really happens in the story right. <laughs> so basically it's just a fetch quest for over half the game and nothing happens it's just like oh uh, go to this area and get this part oh I, I heard a rumor about this about the parts in this area or just so it's gotcha. just so it's yeah. massively padded yeah okay <laughs> it's like getting the airship parts for uh, ren in, in fantasy star 3 but an entire game of it yeah, pretty much. Fetch Quest Forever is my least favorite alliteration of 2018 so far. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag that. So yeah. even for Sword Out Online fans, maybe this is one to skip? Yeah, unless you're hardcore or you like this particular arc of the story, because some people do like this arc of the story. They introduced the Shinon, who is a lot of people's favorite uh, Sword Online character. So, so unless you like that part, then I'd say skip it, because there's just so many, so many issues. All right. Fair enough. Well, thanks for um, being the one to endure that so that yeah. we didn't have to. <laughs> you, you can read my review of it. It'll be out, I assume, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, there you go. There's the place to go. If you want to find out more about it, check out the uh, main page, RPGFan.com. Yeah. So <clears throat> I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a game that I've been playing. I've, I've got two to bring up today, but the first one, I think I'm the only one here who's played it. So every year I review the uh, Atelier games, whatever, Atelier, Atelier, whatever you want to say. I always pronounce it a million ways because they are not consistent in the localization, <laughs> um, how they want to pronounce it. That's so funny. it's crazy to think that they're continuing to pump these out at an annual rate. And before, I was surprised at the level of quality they managed to maintain. Not so anymore. So the latest one is Atelier, Lydia and Suell, The Alchemists and the Mysterious Paintings. This is the third and final entry in the mysterious, quote unquote, um, trilogy, so the series tends to be separated into, into these little, like, usually trilogies that are in an umbrella. So this is like, you know, in, in the mold of the series, the Atelier series, um, it's a story about a young person or people who are alchemists, and they are working in a workshop to synthesize items and, like, generally solve problems of people in their country, or maybe they want to go on an adventure or something. So the core conceit of this one is the um, Airhead twins, Liddy and Suell, are trying to become the best Atelier in their like country. 
and they want to be the very best. But yeah, like no one ever was. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And so they're they're like they're trying to run this workshop, and it turns out that they can enter these paintings called mysterious paintings, and inside each of these, <clears throat> excuse me, there's another world. Uh, that it just exists sort of as a little microcosm and they can go in there and they can take things out of them and bring them back into the real world. So it becomes a way for them to sort of create unique items and they, it gives them a leg up uh, on becoming famous alchemists because they have a way to go and get all of these rare materials from inside these paintings. Now, they're not the only ones in the world who can do that. Like all the characters who end up joining your party can come with you. So I'm not really sure why they are so special or like why um, anybody would entrust them with being able to, you know, enter these other worlds and take stuff out of them. But that's the flow of the story. They're trying to restore these paintings that they find one by one and raise the rank of their workshop so that they can be famous or whatever. Um, because it was the wish left to them by their dead mother. So um, that is an okay narrative hook that I don't really have any problem with necessarily. So where this really lags behind for me is like every other conceivable area. So the Mysterious trilogy has been getting steadily worse. Um, the first one was Atelier Sophie, and I thought that one was okay. It had sort of a weird wrinkle to its battle system where you would um, queue up your attacks and then execute all at once, and it felt sort of like hands-off and janky. Oh, that's that's to... a little Disgaea-esque. Yeah, but it didn't really work for this series, because they, they try to switch something up every single game, so that's how they try to do it with Sophie, and I didn't think it was entirely successful. Um, the, the big thing that they switched up with the subsequent game, Atelier Furious, was uh, hers was all about going on a journey. So instead of having a home base where you would create your items that you um, acquired the ingredients for via combat, exploring, etc., she was out on a journey. So she had like a TARDIS-esque uh, Atelier that she could put anywhere and then go inside it and there was a whole customizable area. Um, it was really, really ugly and cramped and I felt like the big problem with that game is that they tried to basically create an open world game out of it. And the, the world was just hideous. Like it was really badly optimized. It ran like crap. Uh, it wasn't fun to explore because it didn't have anything interesting in it. And like the story and characters were just abysmal. So I was hoping that this newest one would turn that on its head. And I don't think that it does. Um, so instead of going into a much larger open world to explore, this one is focused around sort of exploring a lot of smaller worlds that are more at least thematically distinct. So you have like a painting that's the spooky forest, so it's a Halloween-esque thing. And you have one that's uh, the crystal caverns and you have one that's like a volcano area. So they're fairly um, stock RPG locations, but at least they feel like they're different worlds as opposed to like, ah, here's the forest and here's the further out forest and there's the forest after that. And then I guess there's a desert. Um, so like, the the areas um, this this game isn't running well. First of all, it's badly optimized. There are a lot of frame drops in these areas, and it'll drop to like fifteen or lower, which surprises me because I think this is actually the worst looking one yet in the series. They've gone from this soft, really beautiful cell shaded character portrait style to kind of like a generic low budget anime style, and um, I don't I don't particularly like the character designs either. But that's neither here nor there. Um, the so the game one isn't running well. Two, the big difference this time is a so they're like exploring these smaller worlds, and b, um, they can in battle they have to do a thing where they can battle mix quote unquote. So normally you're synthesizing items in your workshop at home, and then you take those out into the world with you because traditionally like the main characters who are alchemists aren't very strong, so you're relying on the items you made to get you through battle, um, like bombs and stuff. 
In this one, they can create items in the heat of battle, sort of triggered by various conditions, and then they throw them out. Um, and characters also fight in pairs, kind of like Suikoden 3, but mm. but the characters aren't actively... It's not like there are two characters in a, in a line that are actively attacking together at the same time. It's like, if I have you know Liddy in the front and um, Suelle in the back, maybe if I do a, a healing ability, then the one in the back will like follow up with a specific thing to restore my MP as well, something like that. So depending on where you place them, there are some triggers um, that activate different abilities. And that's okay. I just don't feel like the battle mixing thing is especially compelling or different. It just sort of feels like what they've done before. Um, I'm just kind of going into each system here one by one. But the, the biggest problem that I have with this game is just like, oh my God, the characterization is so outrageously annoying. I You've got quite I, the amazing video on, on your Twitter. That was just like, all I did was take some clips of like, I was playing for maybe half an hour. And then every time something irritating happened, I just hit, well, I mean, way I, I hit the share button way less than the number of times irritating things happen. But I just spliced together like 30 seconds of clips from the game because I, I don't understand who the target audience is for these characters who are like shrill babies who can't, they can't do anything on their own. They're constantly crying and whining about stuff. And they have the highest pitched voices of any character I've heard in a game in so long. It's just like they're constantly shrieking about this and that. So what I really liked about this series in the in the earlier stages especially is they tended to be like slice of life kind of um, not very epic in scope stories, but they were generally about a, a young person, usually young girls, uh, having a journey of self-discovery or growth. And maybe they would start out weak, uh, but they would generally grow in it in, in like a decently meaningful way to, so that by the end of the journey, I'd be like, oh, I like them. You know, they maybe she started out kind of timid, but she really came into her own. With this game, Lydia and Suelle, the, the two twin girls who are the protagonists, they're just like constantly shrieking and yelling. And they, they I, I, I don't know, they're incompetent all the time. And I don't really see an opportunity for growth so much as I see the, the writers of the game created these characters so that you are, it's like the Mo, it's it's a Moe thing, I think. They're, they want you to feel protective of these characters because they're so bumbling. <laughs> but I just find them to be absolutely obnoxious. Like two broke girls open an atelier. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> but well, least, I, I mean, at least Kat Dennings' voice I was gonna say, wasn't Kat so high. Yeah. Um, so like you guys uh, mentioned the video I took, I just took this clip and put it on Twitter of the girls. I was just running around gathering stuff and she's just constantly screaming about like, oh no, I touched a bug. And um, when she level up, when she levels up, she goes like, never do apple. Like, Holy shit. Sorry, I shouldn't be screaming. But um, it's just, it's unbelievable. So uh, I'm really stuck on this. It sounds like probably because I am, but um you know, I, I'm not interested in playing a story that has infantile characters who won't grow, and I don't, I don't see that happening in this game. I'm over halfway through it, and so far the entire thing is just like, oh, cute girls like sit around eating sweets, and I, I get that there's an appeal to a degree, and I'm fine with that to a degree, but it's, it's like so. Um, <sighs> I don't really know how to explain this. It just feels like it's marketed towards a, like a totally unknowable fan base like who is the person who's like oh yeah i want to play as dumb characters who like have no agency and just sit around talking about how cute things are and never like develop or do anything interesting it sounds like it's been like super like made by a committee or like super focus tested until they just completely lost sight of anything at all 
and yeah. it's like that um it's uh that that uh comic strip from uh welcome to the nhk where they're trying to like make the most moe character ever and it's like <laughs> she's um she's got down syndrome and she's a maid and she's a cat girl and she's got rickets and she's gonna <laughs> wield yeah that's that's pretty much what it feels like with these two characters and there's there's no hope at all of them, even if it's abruptly right before a final boss, just suddenly turning into confident badasses. You're you've given it's up. It's possible. On that. It's possible, but I just don't I don't see it happening. Um, at least not in a way that I'll find organic or or even compelling. It didn't um, happen in Blue Reflection. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which was another game that was just like cute girls sitting around talking about eating sweets. So this that's you know by the same developer Gust. So I feel like they've gone from knowing how to write characters to like as Robert said, you know, whatever focus tester points we can hit on, we'll just hit all of them at once. It doesn't matter. I, I, I'm not going to, I don't claim to be an expert on Moe or these types of anime characters or anything like that, but I know there's a Japanese word that's either Denpa or Denpa, which means, which is sort of a clumsy, cute kind of, uh, um, connotation mm-hmm. and nonsense. Okay. Yeah. And there's a, there's a Denpa idol girl band that did the most infuriating cover of the beastie boys sabotage that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> what? And, and, and this is, and that was my first association with you posting that video on your Twitter, Derek. So yeah, thanks for that unpleasant memory. Oh, you're super welcome. Um, so <laughs> I think maybe I'm channeling Rob today. Maybe his spirit is just like lingering in the air and that's, what's making me go on a rant like this. Uh, but I, you know, I, I try to be balanced in my assessments of stuff. And I do think that this game has like, you know, it has a decent battle system. Um, but I, I don't really know what else to say. I, I don't think the world is fun to explore. I don't like the characters. I don't like the story trajectory. Um, I don't really like the music. I think it's not great. Um, the voice acting is atrocious. Like it's, it's just a, it really feels like a, a further fall from grace. Cause I was worried after Atelier Furious that the series might be headed downhill, but then maybe they could recoup. And uh, at this point, I'm so thoroughly uh, uninvested that I don't see myself playing another game in the series unless it's a radical shakeup. So sounds like, sounds like this atelier needs to close for remodeling. Um, it sounds like um, annualism has really, really hurt this series. I think so too. I think they're so uh, concentrated on getting these out at a consistent pace that they're not really focusing on what the individual components of it are. They're just doing the whole like. Let's change it up to change it up. But how should we do it? I don't know. Let's ask a focus group. Make them more Moe. Okay, sure. We'll add all these Moe traits. There's, like, there's so little time between these games. I feel like the last one yeah. wasn't even a year ago. Yeah, it was about a year. So, And also yeah, last year they did they did a two. They did Atelier Shelley Plus and then um, Furious in the same year. Sorry, you were going to say, Nathan? Also, they, we should probably take a break for a year and kind of review things. But so I, don't know how, I don't know how the sales are, so maybe they do take a break. Do the, sales old, uh, the old Assassin's Creed origin strategy. Did they take a break for a year? Was that the result? And yeah, make it into yeah. an RPG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they, I, they, I think they, 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 they took 2016 off of Assassin's Creed. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. No, it's okay. So, um, you know, my review of this game will be up probably within the next week or so, and it probably won't be pretty. So, um, Thank you for bearing with my rant. Again, the spirit of Rob was powerful, and he compelled me to do it. So I apparently can't take responsibility for my own actions. So moving on from something that's uh, you know cute and not super great to something that's cute and pretty great. So Rob, Robert, rather, you've been playing the second Zvi game to be localized, but the first Zvi game in the series, which is Zvi the Argus Adventure. How is that going? That's correct. Um, let's not get a 
ahead of ourselves and say it's super great. Um, but I, I do like this game. Uh, Zvi is a peculiar little duology of action RPGs that Falcon put out between 2001 and 2009. Uh, we got uh, the second game, as Derek said, in, I want to say, on, I think it came out on Halloween last year um on steam and uh just as recently as january we received the first game which um although the the, the two games look vastly different um zvi the ilvard insurrection is a 3d action rpg and this is a um 2d and very very beautifully hand-drawn uh action rpg but they do share a lot of mechanics um these are the adventures of uh, pu- uh um I almost said Popico and Pee Me, but that's... that's oh, no. <laughs> that's a um, very different pair of adventurers. That would be a game. Uh, Paco and Pee uh who are uh, a, a boy and girl who uh, live on the uh, floating continent of Argus uh, in Puck Village, uh, where Paco spends his days coming up with really annoying puns, and uh, Pee Pee um, is more interested in her beauty regimen. And the two of them, they're mismatched and they're kind of like brother and sister and maybe they're also like, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Who knows? Mm. Um, the moonlighting of our day. Yeah, you've you've, you've seen this before. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so, um, Pipero and Pockle, they're just hanging out one day, minding their own business when a uh, mysterious masked man rolls into town steals all of the uh, magical artifact statues from the uh, shrine and you have to go through a whole bunch of dungeons to get them back um gosh what can i say um derek you played spy the Ilvard insurrection i did i think you yeah. pretty fond of that mm-hmm. i thought it was pretty cute um the thing is you know this is a falcom game so it's not it's a very rough falcom game as well oh is it really yeah well the thing is like what I liked about uh, the Ilvard Insurrection was that it felt like there were lots of cute um, nuggets of, of like personality injected here and there in what would otherwise be a fairly rote action RPG. Mm. I don't think that the combat in the Ilvard Insurrection is very good. I think it's just sort of like, you know, swing your weapon a bunch. Um, and then the dungeon design is pretty much just like a series of winding hallways. But uh, And I guess from what I've heard, Argus Adventure is fairly similar dungeon design-wise. Uh, dungeon design is pretty much the same. I mean, there's there's not going to be any of the you know platforming or moving moving elevators like there are in okay. Ilford Insurrection. It's you know it, it looks a little roguelike esque, but it's not procedurally generated. Always rooms with monsters, flip some okay. switches, unlock doors. Um, combat really makes Ilvard Insurrection feel like like an art, action RPG masterpiece. Um, you, when playing as Pockle, you press a button and he um, slides across the floor towards an enemy without animating. And uh, <laughs> Pipiro uh, also throws a fireball without animating, um, which it, it's it's fine. Um, like, it's not a whole lot of fun to play, but like Ilvard Insurrection, it has a lot of heart. Um, it's got a very, very funny localization from Xseed, who always, who always bring their A game, frankly. Um, not biased um but um the the characters are cute the world is you know as i said the the hand-drawn environments are really a sight to behold especially puck village which has like this sort of um high up bird's eye view where your characters are small and running around this wonderfully hand-painted um hand-painted village scene a little bit like 
maybe a little bit like something like Saga Frontier 2. Um, it's so funny that you were going to say that. I was going to say that the backgrounds reminded me of Saga Frontier 2 or maybe Rhapsody, a musical adventure. Yeah, actually, that's more spot on. That's okay. it's a it's very similar to Rhapsody. Um, and it's a style that I really, really like. And, um, you know, I've wanted to I've wanted to play this game for like the past 17 years just for how pretty it looks um like i think it's i think it's good and i think it's fine i think that if you're looking for a compelling action rpg i would much sooner i would much sooner recommend uh the sequel but hmm. like if you're after you know if you're a, a a falcon connoisseur and um you are you know after an artifact from a uh not so busy time in their development life i mean this was like six, there was, it'd been six years since Ease 5. I don't really think they were doing many action RPGs at the time. They were wrapping up the pre-Trails um, Legend of Heroes games. So it was kind of a quiet time for them and, and you know, a rare, a rare action RPG from this quiet time that's just, you know, been uncovered. Um, it's absolutely worth a look at, but I think know, know what you're in for if you're right. going to check it out. I and also, think... it's, it's unbalanced to the point where, like, I, I think Ilvard Insurrection had this problem too, but um, where much, much like the sequel, you're eating food to gain levels as well as heal yourself. Um, and you need a lot of EXP to gain levels and food does not give you very much EXP at all. So um, there's quite a grind to it and a single level will be the difference between getting one-shotted by a boss and just like taking the boss out in about a oh, minute. Oh, that's fair to Falcom. East games yeah, are like that. It is, isn't sure. it? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you got this one new piece of equipment, then you're totally yeah. going to be fine. Yeah, that's it. I, I could not do anything in this dungeon until I gained one level, and then it was just like the easiest thing in the world. Huh. Interesting that it's that severe. Mm. Well, um, another interesting sort of like relic from its era is originally both of these. Yeah, these are both PC releases. And I think there was like a PSP mm -hmm. port each, right? But, yeah, there was. But they they had these built-in features that were like little um, widgets, I guess. Is that the name that they use for them? Where, oh, yeah, these are weird. Yeah, all these sort of like miscellaneous functions that you would expect to see on a Windows 95 desktop. But it's included in the game. Like there's a, and I know in the second one, there's like a pedometer that you yeah. can put on your screen. Or there's a, a little calendar or a calculator or whatever. Like it's... It's so strange. So the first one has that as well, right? That's right. Um, I've only unlocked two so far. Um, I've got a clock where I can set. It, it's it's keyed to your uh, Windows clock, so I guess you know you know what time it is while you're playing. But like you can set an alarm. Um, it's you get an achievement for that as well. <laughs> um, okay. I I guess maybe you know so you don't play too much. I can't really see it having a function. It's very funny, and you know um, you can have it either be like a digital display or an, a much larger analog display that takes up a, a good chunk of the screen. Um, this this uh, ticking clock face, um, and then there's there's this weird kind of like mini game where if you leave your pet at home. Um, he'll go off on an adventure of his own and you can like watch his adventure in the corner of the screen. And, you know, like he, he, you know, walks along and every so often he'll come to a crossroads and then you have to hit either left trigger or right tw trigger to say like, go left, go right, talk to this person, ignore this person. And then at the end, like they'll either find an item or they'll eat some food and then go back home and then roll around on the floor. Um, it's, it's Just cute, like me, yeah. but 
it's yeah i just want to roll on the floor and feel like garbage um it, <laughs> it it's distracting and strange and i can't see myself playing with that like tamagotchi micro game very much but, but it's a um, yeah. yeah i like the fact that it's there it feels it feels like nothing else you know it's a little bit like the uh, Final Fantasy VIII Pocket Station thing yeah. for Chocobo game, or maybe the Airship game for Skies of Arcadia on the VMU. Yeah, like some like weird sort of asymmetrical screen at all times. Yeah, it's it's so odd, but it's, I'm glad that they were able to still include those in the game. Like it, I could have yeah. easily seen them being like, these functions are weird and kind of archaic, so we are just going to excise them entirely. But instead, they sort of kept the original experience intact. So I like that. Apparently they've they've also uh, kept in uh, the typing of East, so um, I haven't right. unlocked that yet, but I look forward to doing so. Yeah. Oh my God. Somebody released a standalone little executable of that many, many, many years ago that I remember getting yeah. because they were like, "Oh yeah, Zvi is never going to come out here, so here's the typing of East." Which, <laughs> if if it isn't obvious from the name, it's basically just like you know the typing of the dead or Mario teaches typing type thing where you just have Adol running along and you're typing out words. So strange. But how cool they included that though. I, I think it's a great little package. Um, you know, as I said, know what you're in for going in. It's super old school and pretty janky, but it's it's bursting with charm. And, you know, if you have time for these types of, of weird, you know, 17-year-old action RPGs that feel like they're maybe 25 years old, I mean, you know, with better writing, by all means, go all in. It's only like 15 bucks, I think. It's, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, really it's nice. pretty cheap. It's so cute. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear positive feedback on it, especially after I enjoyed the second one. I think I might have to pop back around to the first, maybe when it's on sale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, <laughs> I feel a little bad because Caitlin hasn't... Caitlin played Nino Kuni 2 mostly, right? So you don't really have anything super new to chime in on this week? No, I, I beat Nino Kuni 2, and um, it, was, it, was, it was as good as I was feeling it was uh, back when we last podcasted about it. And uh, other than that, I've been doing my usual Final Fantasy XIV savage uh, grinding kind of things. And uh, slowly but surely, I'm I'm like a hair away from actually finishing Xenoblade 2. I've been so horribly delayed on actually beating that game because things keep coming out that I have to keep doing, like like... Like Sigmascape and fourteen, that takes a lot of my time. Oh, I was gonna say, like reporting a darn pod. <clears throat> excuse me, recording a darn podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, that's fine. Like, if if I'd gotten up an hour earlier today, I think I probably would have beaten it just in time for this. But I, I, I'm I'm that close. I am literally that close. It's gonna be done today. Yeah. So, are you still um, are you still as keen on it as you were um, going in? I mean, has it been a good journey? I'm so behind in this game. I'm only I've only just unlocked like the mercenaries. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, take my words with a grain of salt. I've been super positive about the game pretty much the whole time. And yeah. I've been known to be a little defensive of it because I see, I see so much of the, the issues being brought up as being kind of things that you, you can get over. They're nitpicks to me, but mm. like, you know, yeah, I, and I've I gone a long way to correct some of that too, or at least to, you know, add features that people wanted. Yeah, but like, there are little things. Like the map was not broken before they they fixed it, and it was annoying. It works it better like, now. I will yeah, totally grant you now. that. It works better now, but it was not unusable the way it was when it launched. But that's you know, I I don't want to like get into super like 
oh, it's an amazing game and all you people are wrong. Cause you know, that's not what I'm saying. People have different opinions. It, it definitely will affect people different ways. I'm still, I'm the, the thing I'm the least keen about. And it's still the case now is just the boobs being so stupidly big on some of the characters. That's, oh, it's hard to get past. <laughs> yeah. But I mean like overall, yeah, I'm still super happy with it and I'm enjoying the crap out of it. And I, I've, had to force myself to stop doing so many side quests because I just wanted to beat the game. Mostly because I told Rob I would be done with it by April and oh. it's April tomorrow. <laughs> so How's that for keeping a bet alive? Yeah. April so fools, Rob. I will, I will be done with it before it becomes April. And then Rob, if you want to come back for a spoiler cast on the game, although I don't know where Rob he is. He stopped playing it. Yeah. He yeah, I thought he didn't like it. You can say this a challenge, Rob. You have to go back and beat the game so we can spoiler cast, and then you can, you can talk about it. Yeah. I think Peter has his copy now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he did sell it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Same with, uh, didn't he sell Monster Hunter World too? He did. He apologized to me. But, <laughs> but, uh, because he, he sold it before well. I got to play with him or, uh, or Jackie, but um, it, it, it wasn't his thing, and he realized that pretty quickly. That's okay. That's fine. We still love him. I'll play I more guess. than enough to make up for him selling it. Good, good. Well, good. Yeah. So you've just mostly been on the uh, Xenoblade and Nino Kuni train, so that's that's a good compartment to be on. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna so. have to. I might have to fire up Xenoblade after we uh, after we cease tonight because I'm itching to play it again. Yeah, jump in. I I thought it was okay overall, so I'd be interested in hearing your take as well. Well, there's only one more game that I really wanted to bring up specifically um, for our like meteor discussion today and that's the alliance alive this is the sort of spiritual successor to the legend of legacy and that came out in 2015 i believe um no filmia though i know what a bummer but it does have barbarossa who's like an angrier filmia oh lizardy guy okay all right yeah I'll, well I'll actually bite. he's not he's not really angry even he's just a little gruff he, he's a good guy um the Alliance Alive is the, the follow-up to that. So The Legend of Legacy was sort of uh, pitched as a New Age saga-type game. It was, like, created by some of the people who had worked on previous saga series games. And I mean, more like um, more like, so like romancing saga than Saga Frontier, although they have their similarities. Um, the, the thing that does seem Saga Frontier-ish about um, The Legend of Legacy, at least, is that one lets you choose a party of three characters out of, I want to say seven or eight or so, maybe maybe nine. Um, and the, the whole uh, shtick with that was you're just going, you're like adventurers going to explore this uncharted island. And the Legend of Legacy kept intact a lot of the saga battle system mechanics, like awakening to new abilities in the middle of battle or the sort of random stat leveling after battles. Um, but it was so directionless and it didn't really have much in the way of a story at all. And That's I, what really I, bothered me about that game. I mean, not only did they get Masato Kato to like write their story, and then there just was no story. Oh, he's still working. Uh, that was like the first thing he'd done since I think like Ninja Gaiden three. Oh, wow. so, um, he oh he did Sands of Destruction for the DS. It was like the last time yeah, I, heard, I heard his name I, being said somewhere. I think Ninja Gaiden three was after that. Sure. All right. But yeah, so they, they contracted him and he didn't do anything. And then, I mean, what I like about the Saga games is, I mean, yeah, I like their battle systems okay, but I like, you know, finding your way through this world and meeting meeting these people and seeing what's going on. It's, you know, this grand exploration. Um, and Legend of Legacy wasn't really that. 
No, no? because at least like, in... there's a bunch of discrete dungeons with no story around them. Yes. So at least in, say, Saga Frontier, depending on who you chose as your playable character, you would start in a different spot. And then you would sort of become exposed to different facets of each of the weird areas in the game. Like there was the futuristic sort of slummy city. There was um, like the monster world where Ricky is from. Like there were, it felt like there were at least these very distinct areas that had some history to them or at least some interesting people populating them. There were there there were vignettes and quests too though it wasn't just like fill in the map which as I didn't play a whole bunch of Legend of Legacy I dropped off pretty early but I put in like a decent fifteen hours and I never really found anything more to do than to fill oh yeah no that's it that's it and especially because there was some esoteric progression in terms of like oh if you want to if you want to like get a new part of the island to be uncovered you have to find some specific spell and then cast it on something like it just it felt so aimless. So I think, so the Alliance Alive, the game that we're actually talking about, borrows some of the design inspirations of The Legend of Legacy and delivers what I think is a much more cohesive and coherent game that has an actual narrative that has a beginning, middle, and end. Um, and the characters actually have dialogue and they have personalities and stuff. Now- it sounds way better. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't see this as like, it's not the second coming of RPGs by any means, um, but it was written by, I, I should have looked up the names beforehand, but they had one of the um, original writers from uh, the Suikoden series. I don't remember if they worked um, on all the Suikodens. No, not the not one of the writers. This is Murayama, the creator of Suikoden. Okay, okay. He, he left uh, partway through Suikoden 3, which is why all the games that came after that were prequels or alternate universes. He wanted okay. to tell he wanted to tell this big grand story, but then like he got promoted because we couldn't do so well. So then he just left Konami. Okay, gotcha. So we've got him on board writing the story. So this is actually like a decently, I wouldn't say it is incredibly complex, complex. Excuse me, but it is um, at least layered enough that characters have sort of distinct motivations, and there are some exciting moments throughout the story. The the overall the main conceit of the narrative is that humans are living under the rule of demons who are, you know, they're basically like a ruling class and humans are nothing. Um, and then between the two, there's beast folk, which are like dog, cat, bird, lizard people. Um, oh, so it's Mike, you brought up sense of destruction. <laughs> oh no. So that, that, that game was not great. No, it's, it's really not. Um, so there's an interesting inversion from the start of, you know, humans at the bottom and then non-human races at the top. And that's not like the most original thing ever, but at least, you know, it's kind of an interesting premise. So the the characters um, of which there, there are nine main characters, and there are actually more than that who will join your party, but they're all living in this world that's been divided into five parts, five different realms, and each of which has sort of a distinct biome and the demons are ruling over uh, in different ways. And it, the story starts off with two characters, Galil and Azura, who are young sort of freedom fighters who want to rise up in this resistance against the demons. Um, but fairly quickly, you realize that uh, the demons are extremely powerful and that they will not suffer uprising. So like bad things happen to the characters pretty quickly. And it's not like the most dire thing ever, but I was genuinely surprised at the direction it went pretty quickly. Um, it makes it clear that the demons are an imposing force and that these characters really are in in a horrible spot to be ruled by them um, of the characters. So you sort of like play as uh, unlike Saga Frontier, you don't choose a character at the start and follow them independently. Like all the characters come together. Um, you play as a, 
you know, two to four characters, specific characters for like five chapters, and then you switch to some other characters for a few chapters and so on until they all coalesce um, about midway through the game, a little bit earlier than midway. Um, so of those characters, um, most of them are human. There is one beast folk who's on the side of the resistance, and then there are actually two demons. And the de these demons are just sort of like, they, they almost look like cat people, whereas a lot of the demons um, that are ruling, there's one that looks like a, like a weird nightmare before Christmas monstrosity, but then there are other ones, like the principal antagonists, who are these really flowy, kind of ethereal, almost angelic looking beings, and they're still called demons, but they had this disaffected kind of demeanor that I find really uh, compelling and kind of chilling. So I was- Sounds like um, the uh, SMT4's uh, interpretation of the archangels. Yeah, something like that. So a little bit, maybe not Ooh, quite as extreme. Like Cause they're still humanoid, but they uh -huh. have unusual color schemes and ornamentations in their outfits and stuff um, that, I, that I found cool. So the art is, is a, a decently high point. I think the character portraits, like the art style, it retains that kind of chibi style that the Legend of Legacy had. And I don't think that's the best. Um, there's some really amazing art that is used much like with the Legend of Legacy, like promotional art that's outside of that. That's like these really lavish illustrations that don't um, exactly mesh up with the way characters are represented in the game. Um, that being said, so uh, it's not a freeform game. It is a linear story from start to finish. So oh. the characters, you play as each one for a little bit, they come together, and then they go on this sort of quest to unite all of the humans or sort of the people who would resist around the, the world and create the Alliance, and the Alliance will fight back against the demons. So um, in another and E twist, there is a system wherein you recruit people for your Alliance, and they can be um, like guild masters or guild members of these five different guilds. There's got recon, tactics, library, blacksmith, and signomancy, which is like a mage guild. Um, unfortunately, in practice, I don't think the system is as compelling as it should be. Um, the way it kind of works out is just like you go around the world and talk to nameless NPCs who, like each one at least says something unique, but they'll they'll just sort of join you and you plop them into a, a guild of your choice, and that guild will level up. Um, each guild confers some effects on your characters, like the Blacksmith Guild, for example. The more you level that up, you can develop more armor and weapons. Um, or like the Signomancy Guild, which is spells. You, the more people you put in there, and the more you level it up, the more spells you can develop for your characters. Um, that being said, magic feels really weak and impotent in this game, so I didn't really mess with it that much. There's also a demon-specific kind of magic called sorcery that only two characters can use, and that sort of feels stronger to me. But um, uh, where was I going with this? So the the guilds also support you in battle in various ways. Like if you are near an area where one of your guilds is, they have these like towers that are stationed. If you're near one of those towers, uh, the guild may randomly assist you in battle. If you're near the blacksmith guild, like near a tower, then they may fire a cannon at your enemies and do some damage to them at the beginning of a turn. So. There's some strategy in once you get to that part of the game, which, by the way, is about halfway. Yeah, I'd say it's about halfway through. So you play for quite a while before you access these features. But then there becomes some strategy in determining like where you want to build guild towers in each area. And there's a finite number of spots to do that. So um, the whole banding together a large number of people to fight back against a common threat, that, that feels pretty Suikoden-esque. And I do appreciate mm. that. Um, it, it also keeps the saga sort of battle system of awakening to random attacks in the middle of battle. You get more proficient with the weapon that you use, depending on how much you use it. Um, your HP will just go up 
randomly at the end of battle. So <clears throat> those things are pretty cool, but I feel like the, I don't feel like the game is super balanced. Um, maybe it's more balanced. It is more balanced than the Legend of Legacy, and I think it's better overall. But it does, because it is subject to random number generation in a lot of ways, you'll have periods where it's like, oh, I'm invincible. I'm just crushing enemies. And then you'll get to a boss or something that's like impossible. And you have to, you know, either totally re-outfit your characters or like just sort of grind, you know, until you randomly get a bunch of stat ups. So, um, you know, in that way, it's still very saga and, and frustrating. And there isn't... Uh, there's some exploration in terms of um, how, you know, when if you want to go around and find characters to join the Alliance, you can do that independently. And the world map is pretty large. And there's actually some interesting world map puzzles. You have something called the Ornithopter early on. So instead of like an airship right away, you just have this little um, manual flappy bird looking thing that you can fly with. But mm. the, the caveat is that you can only fly from, you can only descend basically. Like if you want to go across a gap on the world map, the destination has to be lower in elevation than where you currently are. So it creates some puzzles where it's like, I'm going to explore the world map and like get as high as I can and then try to fly off of it and find a cool hidden cave or something. Um, generally, all that really amounts to was like a treasure chest. Uh, so there's not a giganto incentive to explore, but at least there is some exploration and the game feels a lot more structured than The Legend of Legacy. Um, I've kind of gone on and on about this. Uh, I think that the... The overall story is like it's it's fine. It's not revolutionary, but it's fine. Um, and the characters, some of them don't really get to shine so much because other characters are taking it more of the spotlight. But at least they're entertaining and they play pretty well off of one another. Um, the one thing that I absolutely have to mention is the soundtrack. Oh man, I it's think Hamazu, isn't it? Yeah, it's Masashi Hamazu, so the composer for Final Fantasy Thirteen, the the Thirteen uh, trilogy, and uh, Saga. Like, uh, he, he did Saga Frontier 2, right? Frontier 2 and Unlimited Saga. Okay, and which has both, an amazing like, soundtrack. the best soundtracks in that series. Yeah, so I think uh, the Alliance Live soundtrack is phenomenal. It's so good. It's really eclectic and weird. Like, each of the the worlds, the five realms, has a map, a different map theme, world map theme. And there's no transition into battle music when you're on the world map for each of those places. Like it just keeps playing the theme as you jump into battle and jump out. And I found that it was like really evocative and effective. Um, the first world is the, the rainy realm, I think. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to place how it sounds in my head. Well, there's like the rainy realm. There's the, the burning realm. Uh, there's the caged realm. The caged realm is the one that really stands out to me. It's got like this, really crunchy dark electronic sound with almost like sirens in the background and it is not i think that the music does an incredible job of creating atmosphere that this game would not otherwise have like i was very surprised at many points what the music sort of evoked or made me feel over what may have been depicted on the screen so i feel like this is a game that is like super 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 augmented by its musical score and i think it's one of hamazu's best um maybe not sorry go ahead his work on Legend of Legacy was like one of the best things about that game. Yeah, it's yeah. so it's it's, it's a lot like that. Yeah, hmm. I'd say it's on that level, if not a bit elevated, just because there's more variety, hmm. and um, some some of the tracks I think are just like incredibly, incredibly strong. And there's a few that are a little ho hum, but um, overall, I just I think that soundtrack is amazing. So even if you're not going to check out the Alliance Alive, absolutely go and look up the soundtrack and see some of those tracks, like um, Cage Realm or. Uh, rainy realm or whatever 
And the main battle theme was also really good. So yeah, just excellent stuff. So um, I liked it. Maybe you'll like it too. I'm super curious. I mean, I'm definitely going to check out the soundtrack no matter what, but like I've played everything Furyu has brought out in America and I've either felt like nothing at all or extreme revulsion in the case of um, Caligula. Um, oh, God. So I just... Mm, I, I've, I've been given a lot of pause um, to Alliance Alive, but it yeah. does sound like it's at least decent. It's decent, yeah. I don't think it's it's like amazing. Um, I reviewed it for my other outlet, and I believe I gave it a seven point five out of ten. So that's nice. you know scores are arbitrary, et cetera, et cetera. Good. But I I thought it was fine. So I'll give it. A, I might give it a shot. I'll think about it. Yeah, at least look it up. Look up that music. Well, that's going to wrap it up for our big meaty game discussions for today. But there are a couple of things I wanted to touch on before we let you all go. And one of those is, so this is the 20th anniversary of RPG Fan, if you can believe it. Uh, we've been around since 1998. Maybe not each one of us individually, but the site has been. Um, I think it's like eight years for me, which feels like yesterday. But um, So as part of that 20th anniversary celebration, we've been putting out some 20th anniversary uh, features and so we recently had that Final Fantasy feature, which was to celebrate what thirty years of Final Fantasy on our twentieth year, <laughs> something like that. So our newest one is the twenty years of essential RPG soundtracks. Which, I mean, if you're an RPG music nerd like me, this is like manna from heaven. It's got what everybody has put together. I, I actually didn't write anything for this, so I have to totally applaud everybody else who was involved. Um, Caitlin, Rob, you were involved. Solosi, were you? I was not involved in this one. Oh, you weren't, Robert? No, didn't okay. have time. Okay, I wrote. I wrote, I wrote an amazing one, job. I wrote one blurb, but so barely involved. Oh well, it's still involved. I know Caitlin did some for sure. Yeah, I did three. Okay, cool. Well, so what we have is the um, <laughs> semi-definitive fight us ranking of RPG soundtracks <laughs> over the last twenty years, and. This was really, really tough. There were so many landmark games and landmark soundtracks over those two decades that it's like some some of the years weren't even fair. Like in 1998, um, there was Xenogears, Parasite Eve, and Ocarina of Time. In 1999, there was Chrono Cross, Final Fantasy VIII, Saga Frontier Two, and Persona Two: Innocent Sin. Like, I think 20, I think 2006 is the most brutal one because that's uh, Persona Three, Final Fantasy XII, and Kingdom Hearts Two. Oof. Yeah, so even if, and believe us, there was there was a lot of, there was deliberation and this voting process was so intense because we, you know, we let every game basically be eligible for each of these years. And there was this, we used this like Google poll that was just massive and had the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of entries to go through and select which ones we thought were the best. And then we sort of narrowed it down and then did it again. So, you know, don't take this as us not paying attention or like intentionally overlooking stuff. These were really hard choices. And even what, even what we did select, you know, may still be contentious to a lot of people, but what we did was just try to highlight games uh, and their soundtracks that were important. Like we, we focused more on the soundtrack releases. Like, so even if a game came out the year after, but the soundtrack came out the previous year in terms of like the Japanese release, we counted it for that year. So um, yeah, I, I think they just took the, the release years from VGMDB. Uh, yeah, with the release of the soundtrack, not the right. game. That was, right. which is why you might notice that Xenoblade Two is not uh, in contention for 2017, even though the game came out in both uh, around the world. Mm. That's because we're not getting a re- official release of the soundtrack until May of this year. 
Um, so clearly we're going to do this again uh, for like 40 years of soundtracks or 30 years of soundtracks. And then we'll see if Nier is still 2017's best soundtrack. <laughs> right, yeah. It, it may very well be. We'll see. Yeah, so there was a lot of, uh, you know, fun sort of friendly fighting over this. And we we had a great time putting it together. Again, I thoroughly applaud everybody who wrote these blurbs. Um, but yeah, if you're just interested in sort of refreshing your memory, or if you want to, you know, take a, strip a trip down memory lane and look at some of these old soundtrack reviews that we've gotten stuff, some of them, like, forgive us, because, you know, some of these were written in 1998 or so. And so they may be a little bit rougher than what you're used to uh, with RPG fans' current standards. But that being said, it's still a really comprehensive list, and it's got a lot of, um, we've got like soundtrack samples and stuff on all of these pages. So um, yeah, take a look. It's currently on our main page. If you don't see it there, look either in the featured sidebar, or you can go ahead to the top of the RPG Fan main page and click on Features, which is near the right side, and uh, you'll be able to access it from there. So we hope you enjoy looking through that. You guys have got it so easy now that the samples aren't in a real media format anymore. I remember oh struggling, God. struggling so much to get that player to work. Um, yeah, like twenty years ago when <laughs> got the sam the um samples. Yeah, that was that was a struggle for sure. And then yeah. thanks to uh, Mark who was helping us with our backend stuff, he was able to get a lot of that set up with a more modern format. So it's yeah, not like hats off to Mark. Amazing work. I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We obviously don't have the full soundtracks for all these games up, uh, but we just have we have some samples. So yeah, click on through. Um, if you have any particular thoughts about the list and you know want to send those in, please by all means podcast or rpgfan.com. Send those our way, and maybe we can talk about it. And, so, uh, and, and and before we move on, I also want to mention that uh, we're doing basically a new feature every month for the year 2018, and this was just the uh, this was basically the March feature. So we did a, a, a 20 localizations feature in February and a best RPGs of 1998 in January. So there's there's going to be more things like this coming this year. Yeah. So we hope you continue to enjoy it because, uh, as always, everything that we do at RPG Fan is a total passion project. And it's obvious the passion that all of our editors have in getting this stuff out there because it's it shows through in the finished product. So major kudos to everybody involved. Um, I just wanted to talk about a couple of quick hits of news that are both pretty big deals, I guess. One I care about much more than the other, but Solosi, <laughs> we wanted to bring up, we got uh, we got like a firm release date for God of War, which went gold. Yeah, um, we've known about the April 20th release date for a while, but they released uh, videos and previews of a lot of stuff in the game in the last week of March. And it looks cool. Um, you uh you can do you know axe techniques and then throw your axe and then have it come back to your hand real fast you know like Marvel's Thor style, and uh, they talked about how you can uh, customize your move set by meeting with uh, dwarven smithies and have them forge runes and gems into your axe and stuff. It, it basically the combat looks very very cool and very very God of War and I think we're gonna cover it for the site because we decided it was RPG enough. Yes, we, we are yeah, covering it. There yeah. there are RPG elements. There's experience that you get from, mm -hmm. it looks like not from individual enemies, but you get them upon finishing encounters with groups of enemies. Um, Kratos has stats that apparently can be changed. Uh, it's not, I'm not sure yet if it's from leveling up by itself or if you put the experience into your, your equipment and whatnot, and that gives you more stats. 
the, the equipment itself also has stats their own and you can craft equipment. And then of course, uh, like closely um, mentioned, there's being able to equip runes into your weapons. So there's a, there are enough RPG elements that we decided that it fits into our coverage. So we are, we are covering it and you guys can look forward to a review. Um, hopefully uh, soon we, um, still kind of up in the air when we're going to be able to get started on that, but uh, it should be soon. So yeah. it's hard. It's hard to predict when they send codes to us. So yeah, sometimes, sometimes we can get it comfortably day one. Sometimes it takes a week or two. Right. Yeah. And best when it's uh, ahead of launch, but I'm yeah, as always, we we're just going to do our best to get it to you as quickly as possible. So <clears throat> um, the other announcement that I wanted to bring up that is so much more exciting which, not to be like a jerk about it or anything, but we have been waiting for this one. Dragon Look, Quest I, I, Eleven. I like, guys. I like God of War a lot, but I am much more excited by Dragon Quest Eleven. Yes, Dragon <laughs> Quest Eleven finally has a release date. It is September fourth, twenty eighteen, and uh, that puts it. Geez, when did it come out in Japan last year? Is that going to be like a year it out? Was, it was over the it summer. Over yeah, so, over so over a year, yeah. Okay, but uh, we're finally getting it. Um, Curiously, we're not getting the 3DS version um, because they said they want to focus on sort of developing the Dragon Quest brand, and uh, they think that their best sales are going to be on the PS4, and they're also making a new Steam version, which will mirror the PS4 version for the West. So It's a little bit of a bummer, but hey, yeah. it looks it looks beautiful on PS4, so it I'm does. glad that we're getting it at all. And Switch is still, as of right now, coming just much later. They they reaffirm that they do want to release it in North America and Europe. Um, it's not it's you know, it's not yeah. necessarily a super hard for, firm conf, uh, um, confirm like you know yes we are definitely going to bring it out here on Switch, but they're definitely I think interested in doing it, and they just. Um, for whatever reason, probably because of trying to figure out how to get it to scale onto the Switch, they have to take more time with it. So yeah, I, don't, I don't think the Japanese version's out yet. It it's isn't. not out yet. And they, they confirm it's not going to be coming out this year on Switch. So Oh wow. So that's that's a, a bit of a bummer, but um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it on Switch. If it's just gonna be the PS4 version scaled down, scaled back a little bit to to you know make it run nicely on the switch or if they're going to uh, do something interesting. I know people have been saying it'd be really cool if the switch version was able to bring in some of the sort of chibi style graphics from the 3ds yeah. version, because we are not no longer getting that version, but yeah. you know, we'll see what happens. I think it'd be better if they just upscaled the 3ds version and made that the switch version. Yeah, at least it would be different from what we're getting. Um, my, yeah. Pipe dream was like if it could run the 3DS version handheld and run the PS4 version docked graphically. At least. Yeah, that would be amazing. And then I don't know where the 2D version would be left with all of that, but and and Subex, North America has gotten literally every Dragon Quest game one through nine on a Nintendo handheld. So this is uh, this breaks the combo in a disappointing way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean the Switch is a handheld as yeah, well. I, so. uh, well, yeah. Ho ho hopefully okay. that hopefully the Switch version turns out all right and we get it. Soon-ish, but I, I couldn't be more excited for Dragon Quest XI. It's yeah, one North of my favorite think. series. Yeah. And we the, also get some goodies that the uh, Japanese release uh, does we not get. We get voice work. We get voice acting. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Which is funny because that sort of feels inseparable from Dragon Quest now, seeing as the, the dub for eight was so well-received. So I almost can't imagine like a high-def 3D Dragon Quest without British voice acting. So <laughs> I'm glad that we're getting that. Yeah. 
I'm guessing they just were trying to sort of keep with tradition because um, my understanding is that it was just the, there was localization of eight that got voice acting. And then when they ported it to 3DS, then they got voice acting in Japan. So that's correct. Yes. All of the original releases of Dragon Quest games in Japan have had not had voice acting. So I guess they just wanted to sort of keep it traditional there. I don't know. Well, they also changed the menus and the uh, reorchestrated the soundtrack for the worldwide version of Dragon Quest VIII. So, the, uh, and they did it, I think, to make it fit in more with modern RPGs, where you know what they, they were. I think they were worried the Western audiences wouldn't have the patience for some of the DQ series, you know, bullcrap that is that they've stuck to over the years. Yeah, uh, I mean, it still had the same like the this, the tiny little black and white menu that covers up a quarter of the screen in the PS2 version of Dragon Quest VIII, and they changed that to a a cutaway menu for the North American version. But 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 anyway, uh, yeah, this game looks gorgeous. I can't wait to play it on a big screen where everything looks so pretty that it hurts my eyes a little bit. And there was there's a big uh, uh, cover of Edge magazine in the in the UK of that was just nothing but a giant blue slime. It uh uh, okay, we, I, I saw a, I saw an alternate cover with like a with the tree. Big, yeah, yeah it, that's it, beautiful. maybe it's multiple ones, but there. Are, I mean, everything about this game looks beautiful. It does. And then, as you were saying, with those enhancements for the, for the uh, Dragon Quest Eight International version, they're doing something similar for us with Dragon Quest Eleven. They're going to be overhauling the menus and UI, so it's going to be a little bit more graphical for what they say is more intuitive navigation, and at the very least, it's more in line with what we've been getting in the past. Um, there's also a new camera mode, so it's probably something a la Horizon Zero Dawn, which will allow players to take in uh, views of the landscapes and uh, take pictures of it, so that's cool. I really appreciate that there's sort of a movement of people um, creating these personalized experiences via in-game photography and then showing that to the world, so... Mm. I can imagine there being some cool stuff to do with that, and then... Nice wallpaper generator. For sure, yeah, because yeah. the game is so colorful and, and pretty. Um, there's also there was a hard mode in the Japanese version, but they're calling it the Draconian Quest, which I think is very cheeky and cute, and uh, a dash function and some other system enhancements uh, to character and camera movement. They say so. It's sort of anybody's guess how much more extensive the changes are, but at the very least, um, it's sort of justifying that that year-ish delay from the Japanese version to the localization because they're at least adding to it. So yeah, so um, right now you can pre-order it. You get a cool theme for your ps4 and uh you can look forward to that coming out in september on the 4th so i can't wait well guys with that being said i think that's going to wrap up our discussion for today's show we hope you've enjoyed listening um if you like the show please consider giving us a shout out on the itunes store if you just look us up on itunes and leave us a review that would be awesome you can also send us feedback to podcast at rpgfan.com and i'm going to be a little bit more i was going to say judicious but like i'm going to check it more so I have access to it. It's on my phone. If an email comes through, I'm going to read it, and I'll do my best to respond in a timely manner. Um, but rest assured that I will read it, uh, if nothing else. So, yeah, if you, if you like the show, um, you can subscribe to our RSS feed. You can check us out on the main page at rpgfan.com slash podcast if you want to see our back episodes. It's all there. So I hope you've continued to enjoy the show and will continue to enjoy it in the future. So for Caitlin, Michael, Nathan, and Robert Fenner, we will see you all later. <laughs>